Hello, welcome back to another edition of the My Two Cents Podcast. This is the special edition review of WWE's NXT's No Mercy and AEW's Wrestle Dream. These both of these events happened this past weekend, and I will say this was a weekend of excellent wrestling. Both shows had great wrestling from top to bottom, from the beginning of the show, literally to the end of the show, especially with Wrestle Dream with a special uh person coming from basically WWE over to AEW. I'm pretty sure you know who it is. If you don't, stick to the end of the show to find out exactly who it is. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. But anywho, uh, I'm just going to start off with the show and we start first with WWE's NXT's No Mercy. First, we will go off with Braun Breaker going against Baron Corbett and both men would have special entrances. Braun Breaker, he would come out with a dog-like head on his uh head. Same thing like Sadie Guevara did, like when he first came to AEW, like he wore the panda head when he came up for his entrance, but Braun did that with his. Um, that would be Braun's special entrance here. Baron Corbin, on the other hand, he would be coming out uh, on a motorcycle, and that's from inspiration from Ghost Rider. He would tweet that out after his match was over. Um, these two guys just completely went full pedal to the metal as soon as the match even began. And even before the match began, because as Baron would get off the motorcycle and he start taking off his jacket, taking off his mask, all that crap, um, Braun, he couldn't wait no longer. He would literally jump out of the ring and hit uh, Baron with a Top Gun Hilo, and that's how the match would technically begin. They would fight around the ring, in the crowd, then back to the ring. Um, Baron, he would try to like hit a senton on the commentary table, but Braun would move out of the way and Baron's back would smack the table and it didn't break. So I know Baron had to really feel that. And then once those two guys got into the ring and the actually match actually began and the bell actually rung, they just completely just went nonstop. And remember, this is the opening of a premium live event. Usually an opening of a match is usually the like, bar standard for how the rest of the evening is going to go and let me tell you Braun and Baron they really set the standard because you wouldn't think a match between Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin was going to be as fast-paced as strike heavy as uh slam oriented the way that these two guys were just going and throwing with one another but it was I would say Braun Breaker he hit his uh inner Scott Steiner in this matchup here he got to hit a uh, step-up Hurricane Rana on Baron Corbin when Corbin was on the turnbuckles. Uh, Baron, he would spinebuster Braun through the commentary table, but when you thought that took Braun out, nope. Braun would eat that, and then he would sit up, and then he would hit Baron with a spear next to the barricade. Now, this was towards the end of the match, and once Braun got Baron back into the ring, Braun would look to set up some type of move, but out from the corner of his eye, he would see Mr. Stone on the top turnbuckle. Uh, Stone, he would jump onto Braun. Braun would catch Stone and throw him out of the ring onto security. And this allowed Baron Corbin to hit Braun Breaker with the end of days to win the matchup here. Now, the reason why Mr. Stone did this was Braun Breaker was the guy that took out Mr. Stone's client and friend, Von Wagner. So Stone was trying to true, uh, get some type of retribution he wasn't able to, but he was the one to end up with the last laugh because with him interfering, he gave 
Baron Corbin the win. And after the match, you saw a camera shot of Stone smiling. So Stone's plan eventually worked. He got some type of retribution for his client, Von Wagner. Baron was smiling about it. He didn't care. He got the win. Braun Breaker was the only one who wasn't smiling about this. But beyond that, these two completely went just full pedal to the metal. I will suggest you go watch this matchup. Now, off this, we go to our NXT North America Championship matchup. Dominic Mysterio, the champion, defending his title against Trick Williams. And Dragon Lee was the special guest referee for this match. Now, the story of this match was Dom having issues with Dragon Lee officiating. Also, this being Trick Williams' like first time in a championship matchup, Trick would give his all in this match. Now, there would be some shenanigans happening in the match. Dom, at points, would try to leave the ring and grab his championship and try to walk away because he doesn't want to defend the title. Uh, Trick, he would make sure that Dom wouldn't do so. Dom would get at Dragon Lee for making the count, and he wants him to count faster. Um, the usual bad guy stuff that you get from a bad guy champion. Um, towards the end of the match, Dom would try to hit Trick Williams with a super kick, but Trick would duck it, and Dom would unintentionally hit Dragon Lee with it. Now, this would knock Dragon out, and now another referee would have to run down to the ring. Now, when the referee got in the ring, you would see Dom and Trick still wrestle. Dom would accidentally knocked this referee out with a shoulder tackle because Dom came into this match with a black eye and the referee was trying to look at Dom to see if he was still capable to continue going. Dom would say, yeah, I'm able to go. And when he went for a shoulder tackle, he ended up hitting the ref. That's how this second ref would get taken out. Now, towards the end of this matchup here, I believe Trick would hit Dom with some type of move, make the like cover, and you hear the crowd counting one, two, three, and there's no referee there. Trick would leave the ring, grab Dragon Lee up, like post him next to the steel steps and try to get him to wake up. And once you see Trick do this, you see Dom grab his North American Championship and Dom gets back in the ring and Trick gets back in the ring. Dom would charge to Trick with the North American Championship, trying to hit him with it, but Trick would duck it and then hit Dom with a high knee strike, then cover Dom, Dragon Lee would get in the ring, make the count, one, two, three, and Trick Williams is your new North American champion. Now, I did not have Trick Williams winning this matchup in my predictions, and I was happy that Trick won, to be honest. I'm happy to be wrong on this, because Trick Williams, in this match, you saw him, like, really get enthusiastic about the match. You saw the fans get really enthusiastic with Trick Williams. This has been a legit process since the beginning of NXT when they had to rebrand themselves as 2.0 then drop it just back to NXT with Trick Williams joining Melo in their whole situation to now Trick starting to want to do his own thing and now you got the fans chanting whoop that Trick every time the Trick comes out whether it be a segment by himself talking whether it be uh, him coming to the ring wrestling now the fans are all in on Trick Williams so for Trick to win this you got to see the fans happy about it you got to see Trick happy about himself winning a championship, and this would go to the back when Trick Williams would meet Melo as Melo getting himself focused for his uh, championship defense against Ilya Dragunov. Trick would walk in with the North American title. Melo would look up at Trick and just smile and dap him up, and now you got both guys who are friends, who are champions, and they both say that, yo, whenever the night's over with, we're going to party like champions because once I get done 
uh, taking care of Ilya Dragunov. You know, they say California is the place for parties. So that's their whole thing. That's Melo and Trey's whole regimen and the mindset. But remember, Melo still has to go against Ilya Dragunov later in the night. And when I tell you, that's going to be a hard feat for Melo to climb. It's going to be a hard feat for him to climb. But I'll get to that when I get to that matchup. Now, next up, it'll be the NXT Tag Team titles and a Fatal 4-Way match. You have the family, which is Tony D'Angelo and Stax going against Out of the Mud, which is Lucian Price and Bronco Nima with uh, scripts in their corner. You have the Creed Brothers, which is Julius Creed and Brutus Creed with Ivy Nile in their corner. And then you have Humberto Carrillo and Angel Garza. Those are the four teams. Uh, the family would retain their championships by pinfall by hitting a double back suplex on Lucian Price to win the match. This match was great, and I will say this every single time. The NXT Tag Division, ever since they've been on um, the WWE Network, and even now you can say since they've been on Peacock, it has always been fire. The only time I can say they ever had like any type of downward was like during the pandemic. But out of the pandemic, it was fire. Everything from the tag team division for NXT has always been fired. That's the one spot in NXT where I will say you will never lack in that department because they always have tag teams. They always have tag teams that's ready to gear up and go, and they want to prove themselves. And this Fatal 4-Way, you got the best of everybody because the Krees, they're hybrid teams. They can wrestle. They can uh, do speed, they can do springboard, I mean, they are, can really do everything, which you have, uh, which you can't see, and I've sung the praises of the Creeds every single time, I always question why the Creeds are still in NXT, because they need to go to the main roster, but they're there, and they proved why they are prime time now, uh, Angel Garza and Humberto, they gave you the speed and the luchador flair in this matchup, uh, Price and Nima OTM, they gave you the big man, strongman, uh, physical dominant portion of the matchup because they're just two big dudes that just wants to just get brawlic and just do what they can do in that ring. Uh, the family, Tony and Stax, they are brawlers and they are just doing whatever they can just to try to survive and win. At one point in this matchup, you had Tony having, I believe it was Angel and Humberto on his uh, shoulders like in an Alabama slam type position and he will go down and it seemed like he tweaked his knee and it gave everybody the feeling that okay Tony D'Angelo's out he's going to be injured again oh my god here we go so Stax he would try to fight on him and Tony's behalf and now at this point in this junction you will have the Creed standing with Stax and it seems like it's a three on four style matchup here Tony D'Angelo, he would eventually make his way back to the ring to stand with Stax. And at this point, it's now back to on four and four. The good guy teams going to use the bad guy teams until the good guy teams like take care of the bad guy teams. And it's down to the family and Creed's battling with each other until OTM and Humberto and Angel Garza will get back in the ring. And now you still have a proper uh, fatal four-way tag match. Once again, there was one cool spot in this fatal four-way matchup where you would see the Creeds and the family hit superplexes on respective members of OTM and Humberto and Angel Garza, and they all did it at the exact same time. And they like landed in like a perfect square so that nobody overlapped each other. And that was a great spot. I don't think I've ever seen that before. So for me to see that there, that was incredible. 
But again, this match was great. And as I said before, NXT Tag Division is one place that they never sleep on. They always got great tag team action happening. I would really hope that you check this matchup out as well. Now, next up, we will have the NXT Heritage Cup. It will be Noam Dar defending the cup against Butch in Noam's corner. He will have Metaphor. And in Butch corner, he will have his British Strong Style teammate, uh, Tyler Bate, in his corner. Noam Dar will get the first fall in the second round by pinfall, thanks to Metaphor distracting and interfering. When Jakari Jackson and Lash Legend would appear on the ring apron, Tyler Bate would get on the apron and make sure they don't interfere. The referee would be distracted by this and miss Oral Mensa hitting Butch in the head. And this allow Noam Dar to hit a running insiguri on Butch to get the win for the first fall. Butch, he would get the second fall in the third round. When Butch would counter the running insiguri with a forearm and then hit the bitter end. So now you have each man one and one. And they continue fighting. They continue to go until the sixth and final round. And Noam Dar will get the third and final cover and pinfall here. Thanks to interference from Gallus and Metaphor. Um, Oro Mensa, he would get himself involved. Tyler Bate will have to take care of Oro Mensa at this point. And now when Tyler Bate's done with Mensa, you see Butch really start dominating Noam Dar. He has Dar in the armbar. And then out of nowhere, Mark Coffey and Wolfgang would appear and start attacking Tyler Bate. Butch, he would see this. He would leave off of Noam Dar and hit a crossbody onto Mark and Wolfgang. Then Butch would get back in the ring. Now, at this time, the referee would be distracted with Jakari Jackson and Lash Legend and miss Joe Coffey getting in the ring and hitting Butch with a rolling clothesline. Noam Dar would then cover Butch to win the match fully. So it's two to one. Noam Dar retains his Heritage Cup, and that's where we're at. Why Gallus interrupted and interfered, I can only presume because uh, Joe Coffey, he lost to Butch in the finals of the uh, tournament for the Heritage Cup Invitational. So I can see this being a way for him to get some revenge on Butch, but we'll have to wait and see on NXT. But the main thing is, Noam Dar is still your Heritage Cup uh, champion. Now, next up, we would get to the banger of a matchup between the NXT champion Carmelo Hayes and Ilya Dragunov for the NXT championship. Ilya Dragunov is your new NXT champion, and he would do it by hitting a Super H bomb, and they're calling uh, Ilya Dragunov's diving forearm an H bomb. So he does it from the top rope onto Carmelo Hayes to win the matchup. And when I say this match was a banger, I mean literally. You would think that these two guys were just going at it for the WWE Championship, the way they were like just throwing everything completely out to one another. I mean, every big move in each man's arsenal they were doing. At one point, you saw Carmelo try to go for his springboard uh, DDT, but Ilya Dragunov was in a position that Melo saw, so he had to... Literally in midair, switch his position so he can grab Ilya's head and hit him with a bulldog instead of a DDT. So that was great on Melo's uh, in-ring awareness. You saw Ilya just chop the devil out of Melo's chest in this matchup. And I mean, Ilya was putting hands and feet 
on Carmelo throughout this match, man. I mean, Melo went through hell with Ilya. And Ilya, on his part, he went through hell with Carmelo because Melo was giving him everything. He was putting hands and feet on Ilya. But something with those European guys, they just be throwing hands just crazy. And Ilya, he proved it here. Melo, he tried everything that he could do. But I feel, and even the commentators were picking up on this, it was a story that Melo, he had that self-doubt in himself of could he beat Ilya Dragunov because he didn't technically beat Ilya Dragunov all by himself in their match at the Great American Bash. So I feel that that played a part in this, and that's the story of what they were telling in this matchup here. But in the end, Ilya, he ends up winning. Now, technically, if you get the tallies right, Ilya has one win, Carmelo has one win, there might be a rubber match. Usually in wrestling, when it comes down to one and one, there's going to be a rubber match. When is going to happen? I have no idea. But when it happens again, best believe there should be some type of stipulation matchup, whether it be a ladder match, a steel cage match, or even the first ever Hell in a Cell in NXT. There needs to be some type of stipulation. We all know that Melo and Ilya, they can go in a regular style matchup. They did it twice now, and both of them certified bangers. But... I think as a fan, you want to see their third bout, their biggest bout, if you will, be some type of stipulation match. That's just me. But again, Ilya Dragunov, your new NXT champion, banger of a matchup. Now, we go to our main event, Extreme Rules match for the NXT Women's Championship. You have the champion, Becky Lynch, going against the challenger, Tiffany Stratton, and Becky Lynch would retain her NXT Women's Championship by hitting a manhandle slam on a pile of chairs after Tiffany Stratton missed uh, hitting the prettiest moonsault ever. So Becky retains her championship. I'm going to list you off the weapons that were used in this Extreme Rules matchup. You had brass knuckles that were introduced by Tiffany Stratton. You had candlesticks that were used. You had steel chair, steel steps, trash can lids, trash can, chairs, I said chairs, uh, a chain, a wrench, a crowbar, a shopping cart, a fire extinguisher, a fan's own necklace, a bob wire baseball bat, and even Barbie dolls. And yes, Barbie dolls were using this because Becky Lynch, she had a black bag in a shopping cart, and it came down to one point in the matchup where Becky Lynch took the black bag out of the shopping cart, and in the bag started to... Uh, unload the bag and inside the bag were Barbie parts and then you had that be introduced in the match she would slam Tiffany onto the Barbie doll parts and again this is playing on to Tiffany calling herself the uh, Barbie of NXT and that's her whole kind of shtick with that there or at least one part of Tiffany's whole shtick but this match again was a great match to end NXT No Mercy. Both women, they had a great showing here. This match proved Tiffany gets it. Tiffany is ready for prime time. If they put her on the main roster, I don't think anybody's going to bat an eye at Tiffany uh, being up there, even though she's only been in the business, literally, I would like to say probably for a year, at least in WWE-wise. But even with her being in the WWE for only a year, she is great. Her character is great. I think her talking whenever she's interacting with another individual is great. Her in-ring work is great, as you can see with her match that she had with Becky on NXT a couple weeks ago. And now here, 
I mean, just completely great. Becky, when you give Becky something with some meat on it, with some substance, she always delivers a home run. And that proved it here with this rivalry now with Tiffany. And hopefully with this reign that Becky's on as NXT Women's Champion, people will see that. And hopefully that the uppers management will see that as well. The people that actually makes things happen. But again, this match was great. The fans were into it. They were chanting this was awesome. As a matter of fact, the fans were into basically every match on this whole premium live event card. So that just shows you that NXT right now, even though they went through a downward slump where everybody wanted to turn away from NXT when they went to 2.0, I think everybody should go back to NXT. Everybody should be tuning back in to look at the product and see what's going on and look at the superstars basically up tomorrow to be honest with you but again that's what happened on nxt no mercy oh yes by the way after the main event what happened we would go back to the backstage where Mello would walk in and see trick holding the north american title and tricks just dapping up Mello, say hey man it's all right you'll get him next time and Mello says yeah i know i'm sorry and trick again playing the supportive friend of Mello as he's been since 2.0 he tells Trick, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. And Melo, at one point, he just looks at the North American title. And then he gets back to, yeah, I know. It's going to be all right. I know. I, it, we, we got, we're going to get this right. And that kind of puts some wheels in motion. Because Carmelo Hayes was the guy that made that North American title feel important when Carmelo held it. He was the guy that's saying that he was the A champion when he held it. He was the man that made that title the A championship for North for NXT. So will we see Melo and Trick go back and forth for that North American title? I hope not. But we could probably see that. We'll wait and see on NXT. Now, having said that, that was your WWE NXT uh review. Now on to AEW's Wrestle Dream. Now, Wrestle Dream was a pay-per-view that was used to uh, give honor and pay homage to the New Japan Pro Wrestling founder, Antonio Inoki, who passed away last year. So with this, you will have multiple wrestlers throughout the night using the Indomitable Stretch to pay tribute to Antonio Inoki. That was a great symbolism, so you got that here. Um, I just wanted to point that out before I start getting into the show. So with me getting that out the way. Let's start it. Uh, it'll start with a handicap match for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. Two-on-one, MJF going against the Righteous, which is Dutch and Vincent. Uh, the Righteous, they make their entrance. They do what they do. MJF, he would come out. He's wearing green in uh, Seattle colors since they are in Seattle, Washington. So MJF is playing to the crowd here with the green. And multiple other wrestlers would do the exact same thing. You had uh, Chris Statlander, who came out wearing green. You had Daniel Bryan. Or, excuse me, Brian Danielson, who came out wearing uh, the Seattle Seahawks colors. And same thing with Swerve. He did the exact same thing. So you had multiple people also playing into uh, the home base of Seattle, playing into the crowd here. But back to MJF. When MJF will come out to make his entrance, he will have a microphone in his hand. And he will let everyone know that he was not the one that attacked Jay White on Dynamite. That someone stole his mask. And that... He plans on retaining the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles, so when Adam Cole comes back, the title will be waiting for him. MGF would make a promise. He says that he plans on body slamming Dutch, and he plans on sticking Vincent's head into Dutch's butt in the match. Now, 
MJF would keep his word. He would retain the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships by pinfall when he would first body slam Dutch. Then he would shove Vince's head into Dutch's butt. He would then hit the kangaroo kick on both uh, Vincent and Dutch and then hit Dutch with the heat seeker. And just to make sure he was getting the right pin and making sure he kept Dutch down, as the referee was counting one, two, on the two count, MGF would put both of his feet on the ropes and just to get that extra gain of leverage to keep Dutch down for the three. So MGF is still your Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, along with Adam Cole. Now, this match was your typical 2-1-1 at the beginning. Uh, Dutch and Vincent, they did work to MGF. MGF would try to get back at the righteous, and whenever he would get the advantage, he would crawl over to his corner, and he was trying to make a tag, but then he realized Adam Cole wasn't there, so he had to realize at that moment, oh yeah, I'm really in a handicap match. So he would then have to rev it up when it comes to the end, but this just continue on with the story of MJF. He does care about Adam. He actually uh, has a true friend. He wants to keep Adam... Uh, safe. He wants to keep the championships hold for Adam for whenever he does come back. This is all playing into that. And now with the mystery of who took his mask, who are those people that attack Jay White, and who's basically framing MGF as well. We're getting to something big. We don't know what's going to happen yet. It'll probably play into Dynamite. But yeah, that's what happened here. This was a great showing for the Righteous, but I think everybody knew the Righteous wasn't going to win because you got MGF in here. People love MGF. They love what uh, MGF is doing right now on TV. So for MGF to have dropped the titles to the Righteous, I think nobody knew that. I think everybody knew that wasn't going to happen. So this was a great match to start open Wrestle Dream. Now, next matchup will be for the Ring of Honor and New Japan Strong Openweight Championships. Eddie Kingston defending both of the titles against Kasiori Shibata, who is the Ring of Honor Pure Champion. This match is New Japan, like personified, but a light style version of what New Japan represents. Yes, uh, Eddie Kingston and Shibata, they did the striking, they did some wrestling holds here and there, uh, but that's what to expect from Shibata and Eddie Kingston. They're strikers, they are uh, guys that do some wrestling like slams here and there, but they're majority strikers. So that's what you got here from this match. Eddie Kingston would retain his championships by pinfall by hitting a spinning back fist, then a powerbomb to put away Shibata, after he would hit a snowplow driver, but that failed to put away Shibata, so we had to go to the spinning back fist and the powerbomb. But I will say this again, this was another great match on the Wrestle Dream card. I would say if you want to get into New Japan, watch this match on this card, Eddie Kingston and Shibata. This will get you a gateway into New Japan, into the striking into the system of what New Japan does because Eddie Kingston, he is a big ad, uh, admirer of the Japanese work. He's been watching Japanese wrestling for a long time. So he really wanted to pay homage to Antonio Inoki. Uh, Shibata, he is a guy that was under the Inoki system before he uh, went off and did his own thing. So he wanted to pay tribute to Inoki as well. And with them doing the striking and with them doing some wrestling holds here and there, they paid tribute to Inoki and they paid tribute to uh, Japanese wrestling, uh, strong style, if you will. So if you want to get into New Japan and you haven't got into it yet, this is the first match I would say I would um, 
put you guys into it before I start giving you guys like some hard, harder hitting matches. Now, next up on the card will be for the TBS Championship. Chris Statlander defending her title against Julia Hart, who will have Brody King in her corner. Chris Statlander would retain her championship by pinfall by getting out of the heartless submission and turning it into a tombstone and then hitting the Sunday Night Fever for the win. This was a great match from both Chris and Julia Hart, but I say more on the Julia Hart front because everybody knows what Chris Statlander can do since she's came back from her injury and beat Jay Cargo at Double or Nothing. You got to see uh, Chris like wrestle and defend the TBS titles on Dynamite, the Rampage, and the Collisions. This was Julia Hart's first actual like big matchup marquee moment here. So she did everything she could. She actually tried to fight back against Chris as much as she can because Chris was the bigger person in this matchup. So Julia Hart would be at a disadvantage, at least in that uh, sense. But with Julia having Brody King at ringside, Brody was an intimidating presence for Chris Statlander because there will be a moment where Brody is antagonizing Chris and Chris is looking at Brody. And this allowed Julia Hart to leave the ring, go underneath the ring for a minute. And then when she comes back up and get into the ring, Julia was trying to spit the black mist into Chris's face. But Chris would pop Julia in the face and this will have the mist spraying over to the side and not touch Chris Statlander. So again, you have Brody being that intimidating presence, but it was still the power and the strength of Chris Statlander that basically got the job done over a... Uh, want to say a quick style of Julia Hart because again she was trying to go at it quick she was trying to strike quick but again the power of Chris was just basically too much for Julia and this was Julia's first time in a marquee match so she wasn't going to win here so Chris Statlander is still your TBS champion but good work on both ladies especially Julia Hart now next up fatal four-way number one contenders matchup you have the Lucha Brothers the Young Bucks Orange Cassidy and Hook and the Guns. The Young Bucks would win this match by pinfall by hitting Penta with a super kick clothesline combination, then the BTE trigger for the win. Uh, this was a great match from all four teams. AEW, just like NXT, has a great tag team division. They have always had a great tag team division. It's always been... For AEW, I will say this. They always had a great tag team division, but it's always been, okay, when is a certain tag team going to get the championship win? That's always kind of been AEW's like problem with their tag division. They got great tag teams. Sometimes they're tag teams that are used, shouldn't be used as much. And sometimes you got tag teams that aren't used as much that you want to be used. That's AEW tag team's problem, but they always have great tag teams. That's the thing with AEW and this match right here, they proved that they have great tag teams here. The Lucha Brothers, they did their uh, Lucha stuff as much as they can until Ray Phoenix got taken out. Uh, he would be brought to the back. Uh, I believe he had two people on his shoulders and he like went down and uh, he had to go to the back. They don't, they never ever said what really went wrong with him. So I'm hoping that Ray Phoenix isn't injured, but Penta, he had to go on his own. Uh, throughout the majority of the matchup, the Young Bucks, they did the Young Bucks stuff, but they really didn't play a big part in the match until like towards the end. I'll say this match, the majority, the Guns, Penta, and Orange Cassidy, and even Hook. Hook, he got involved in this as much as he can. He's probably the least uh, 
least experienced in this matchup by everybody's account, but Hook was able to hold his own. As a matter of fact, at one point you have Hook and Mac Jackson both trading off uh, Northern Light suplexes, and then when they got to their respective tag members coming in, Nick Jackson coming in, Arch Cassie coming in, you saw Hook hit Nick with an uh, Northern Light suplex, and Matt hit Arch Cassidy with a Northern Light suplex, and then they did it at the exact same time. So that was a cool spot here. Um, towards the end, Penta would hit both Orange Cassidy and Hook with a combo, which is a Gory Bomb special and the Fear Factor. But I believe Nick Jackson, he would assist in the Fear Factor by hitting a double stomp on. I want to say it was Orange Cassidy that Penta gave the Fear Factor to in this, but that move right there. Um, great tag match. That's all I can say about that. But now the Young Bucks are now your new number one contenders for the AEW Tag Team Championships. Now next up will be a highly contested grudge match. Hangman Page going against the hometown boy, Swerve Strickland, who had Prince Nana in his corner. Swerve would win this matchup thanks to Nana interfering. When Hangman would uh, hit Swerve with the bug shot and then pin him, Nana would put Swerve's leg on the bottom rope. The ref would see it and toss Nana to the back. Now, Nana wouldn't go gracefully, and as the referee is dealing with Nana, Hangman will go for another buckshot area, and as he does so, Swerve would hit Hangman with Prince Nana's crown. Then Swerve would hit Hangman with two house call kicks, then finish him off with the JML driver for the win. Swerve and Hangman Page, they were aggressive with each other in this matchup. Now, with Swerve being the hometown guy here in, in this rivalry, technically, Swerve is the bad guy here. Uh, anything that Hangman did got crazy booze. I mean, this felt, for me, like the WrestleMania 18 matchup between Rock and Hogan, but the wrestling was actually good. Um, but in this rivalry, Hangman is supposed to be the good guy, and Swerve is supposed to be the bad guy. You're not supposed to be cheering the bad guy, but since you're in the... Uh, bad guy's hometown, you're going to have the people of that hometown cheering for their hometown guy. And Swerve, he got a lot of cheers. It was just not Hangman's night in the way of crowd reaction, but he was putting a beat down on Swerve a good majority of this matchup. Uh, you would have Hangman go after Swerve's wrapped hands at different times uh, during the matchup. And in retaliation, Swerve would bend Hangman's arm back and try to snap it and when he does this, Hangman has a hard time using that arm, but he was able to do it towards the end for the buckshot. And as you already heard what I said earlier, that's what happened towards the end. But these two had a great matchup. Swerve is now on the precipice of becoming a main eventer because he has defeated a former AEW World Heavyweight Champion in Hangman Page. So Swerve is one step closer to becoming an AEW World Champion the first black AEW world champion. And Swerve, he has the caliber to do so. He has the caliber to actually be that guy because everybody wants Swerve to succeed. Everybody sees the star caliber, the star in Swerve. I've been saying it. I've seen people been saying it online. People uh, in the crowd are feeling Swerve. So right now it's the perfect time for Tony to pull that trigger. But with all the competition that's going on right now, Swerve is going to have to continue to uh, climb that mountain so he can be a well-established 
world champion and world, uh, well-established main event player when his time does come for him to be a world champion. But congratulations to Swerve for winning this matchup against Hangman Page and making that uh, big step towards achieving that big goal. Now, next up, you have Ricky Starks going against Wheeler Yuta. John Moxley will be on commentary for this matchup here. Yuta uh, would lose the match to Ricky Starks when Ricky would hit him with a spear, then Rochambeau. This was what it was. It's not bad wrestling on Ricky nor Yuta's uh, situation. Both guys know what they're doing. Both guys are uh, great wrestlers, but this felt like a just match they just thrown onto the pay-per-view card. And I'm glad they did so because Ricky Starks, he gets more exposure. He gets to take another step into being that guy that he wants to become and getting the spotlight all on him that Ricky uh, deserves. And that's basically what this was. Now, with John Moxley being on commentary, when Ricky would go for the Rochambeau, he pointed at John Moxley. So it seems that Ricky is gunning for John Moxley, but John Moxley at this time, he was not able to wrestle. I think he's still going through uh, concussion testings after his match with Phoenix at Grand Slam. So whenever Moxley's healed up, we're more than likely going to get a Ricky Starks and John Moxley program. Now, John Moxley would not leave the commentary booth because up next would be the technical masterpiece of all technical masterpieces that I have seen. It'll be Brian Danielson going against the New Japan uh, television champion, Zack Sabre Jr. Now, I'm not going to be able to give you specific highlights of this matchup. I'm just going to tell you this was a legit technical masterpiece. You had Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr., Two technical guys being able just to get out of every single hold that each person would uh, go after with each other. Zack Sabre Jr., he would go after Brian Danielson's right arm. And that's the same right arm that got broken by Okada during their match at Forbidden Door. So commentary, they would let everybody know that there's a metal rod in Brian's right arm. So that's the reason why Zack Sabre Jr. is going after that arm. Brian Danielson, he would go after uh, Zach's leg. He would get him with a dragon uh, screw in the matchup. He would try to lock in uh, figure fours. He would put in uh, Romero specials on Zach Sabre Jr. I mean, these two guys were just going hold for hold, move for move. But in the end, uh, Brian didn't win with a submission move. He actually won with a striking move. To be specific, a psycho knee. He would hit Zach Sabre Jr., with a psycho knee twice, and that's how Brian Danielson would win this technical masterpiece of a match. Now, as I said, Moxley was on commentary for this, and Moxley swore time in and time out on this matchup. He would, like, try to cover himself because he mentioned how he swore on the pre-show, and he mentioned that he got a fine for it, so he would try to, like, pull the mic away from his face, but you can hear it on commentary, him just still yelling at Brian to F up uh, Zack Sabre Jr., and when he says this, uh, Excalibur, he would make a funny uh, comment by saying, that's a swear jar. So, more fines are going into uh, Moxley, and when Brian Danielson yells out to the crowd, it's time to kick Zack Sabre Jr.'s effing head in, Moxley would say, uh, Brian, that's that's that that's a fine, but tag that on to my fine. So again, it was a nice funny moment that we got from Moxley here on commentary. Uh Nigel McGinnis, he was playing big haterade to Brian Danielson.
from the rivalry that Brian Danielson and Nigel McGuinness has in Ring of Honor. It carries over into AEW with Nigel McGuinness on commentary and with the supposed, uh, I'm not sure if this was mentioned or it was ever going to really happen. I think Brian Danielson, if he wasn't injured, he was supposed to wrestle at all in against Nigel McGuinness. And uh, with that didn't happening and Brian happened to pop up next week and wrestle against Ricky Stars at All Out, Nigel has been on a complete just bashing of Brian Danielson. But Nigel McGuinness and Brian Danielson, they're friends in real life, so they're doing this for wrestling purposes. But I like the hater in Nigel McGuinness on Brian Danielson. I like it, and hopefully we get more of that uh, with every time Nigel McGuinness sees Brian Danielson. But again, Moxley, he was great on commentary. Hopefully you get more of that whenever Blackpool Comic Club members are actually in the ring wrestling. I would like to hear more Moxley uh, on commentary because he was actually like a fan. Being a fan, seeing this type of match and just being so excited just like the rest of us. But getting back to the match, technical masterpiece, Brian Danielson, Zack Sabre Jr., please go out of your way to see this. I implore you, please. Now, next up, six-man tag match. It will be the Golden Lovers, which is Kenny Omega and Cody Ibushi with Chris Jericho going against the Doghouse family, which consists of the New Japan UK champion, Will Ospreay, Sammy Guevara, and Konosuke Takeshita. Don Callis' family would win this match by pinfall thanks to Don Callis interfering when Chris Jericho has Sammy Guevara in the walls of Jericho. Don would come in and hit Chris Jericho in the head with the bat. Now, the referee would be busy with Will Ospreay making sure he didn't get in the ring with his United States Championship that he didn't see uh, Don come in and hit Chris with the bat. So when Sammy Guevara goes to make the count, Will Ospreay will quickly run over to Omega and Ibushi and hold them so they wouldn't be able to rush in and break the count. So that's how the Don Cows family would win. Now, what I would like to say is that Will Ospreay was the true MVP, at least for me, in this matchup here, along with uh, Konosuke Takeshita. Um, Will Ospreay, he played his part perfectly for um, the Don Callis family. When Chris Jericho was going to hit Sammy with a Judas effect, Will Ospreay would quickly run in, push uh, Sammy to the side, and eat that Judas effect. And all the stuff that Will Ospreay also did like towards the end of the match with distracting the referee and all that good stuff. Uh, Takeshita, he would take on Kota Ibushi when Ibushi would turn into Murder Ibushi. And for people that don't know what Murder Ibushi is, that's when Ibushi will like flip this switch and he just becomes this unstoppable force, just like striking people and they just start going down. Because we would get that moment where you have Don Cal's family beating up on Jericho, beating up on Omega, and Ibushi just gets up and he just has this look on his face. Will Ospreay, he would try to get at Ibushi, but Ibushi would strike him with one punch and Will Ospreay would go down. Sammy would go next. Sammy would go down. Now you get the standoff between Takeshita and Ibushi, and this is something that uh, Takeshita has been wanting for, I believe they said, 10 years. So we get this between Takeshita and Ibushi, and Takeshita is able to put Ibushi down. He's actually able to go toe-to-toe with Ibushi, and that shows you the strong fortitude that Takeshita has. So again, Will Ospreay and Takeshita, for me, I feel are the MVPs, but Will Ospreay being the true MVP because of everything that he had to go through to make sure that his team ends up winning so with the Don Callis family winning against Omega and Jericho and Ibushi this puts Don Callis family up and this just continues the story rivalry between 
Don Callis with Jericho with Omega because Don Callis is just trying to make their life hell. And we're going to continue that. Now, next matchup, AEW Tag Team Championships. On the line, it'll be FTR going against Ozzy Open. FTR would retain their championships by pinfall by hitting a Super Shatter Machine on Kyle Fletcher to retain their titles. Now, towards the end of the match, it seemed that Mark Davis uh, seemed to probably hurt himself because his left wrist, he wouldn't use that much. He couldn't strike with it, and he didn't like hold his opponents like when they went for the Coriolis on uh, Cash Wheeler. He didn't hold Wheeler's head up with the left arm, but they were still able to hit it. So it just showed you, and even Excalibur made mention that on commentary. So I'm hoping that Mark Davis isn't hurt as well. But this was a solid tag matchup here. I would say it's not as great as their uh, WrestleQuest or New Japan's like Quest uh, pay-per-view that they did last year in England, but it was still a great matchup between FTR and Ozzy Open. There will be multiple times in this matchup that it seemed that Ozzy Open was going to get the win over FTR, but FTR did just keep on squeezing out uh, victories. They're able just to uh, be the best tag team in the world right now, and that's been this way for, I want to say, 2023. So with them now beating Ozzy Open, it seems that we're going to get FTR versus the Young Bucks 4. So that's up next win. I have no idea, but we're getting that. Now, we will go over to the main event. Two out of three falls for the TNT Championship. Christian Cage, the champion, going against Darby Allin. Darby Allin would get the first fall by using Christian Cage's turtleneck against him when Darby would yank the turtleneck over the head of Christian and pin him in a jackknife pin. So now Darby's one up on Christian. Christian would get his revenge in the second fall by getting a ring out victory when Christian would use the steel steps and throw Darby into them repeatedly. And when I mean the steel steps, I mean the actual steps of the ring steps, not the side. No, he used the jagged, like, when you step up on a step, he used that part. He would suplex Darby's body into the steps, and he would body slam Darby off the apron onto the steps, and Darby's body just hit those steps, and it looked absolutely brutal. I mean, Christian did this about, I want to say, three or four times, and it was, I mean, it was hard to look at. Darby Allen, he puts himself through a lot of physical pain since he's been at AEW, and even before that when he was on the independents, but... He's been putting himself through a lot of hell, and I don't know the extent of the reason why he's willing to do these type of things, but my God, he just went through it right here with that spot in particular by getting his body just constantly just thrown into the actual steps. Um, Christian would get in the ring, the referee would make the count, and he gets to 10, so now Christian has one up, or he's even the score out, excuse me. He's so now with the score being even one and one, you will have the referee kind of putting the match on pause because the medical personnel will come down and you have them look at Darby. Christian would try to get at Darby, but the referee would push Christian to the back and tell him to hold on. So as you see the medical personnel and the referee looking at Darby, Christian would start pulling like the ring mat off of the canvas to expose the wooden planks under the uh, protective padding. And as they're putting Darby on the stretcher, and it seems that we're about to end the match, Christian will say, nah, screw that. Christian will go to the top turnbuckle and hit a frog splash 
on a prone Darby Allen body who is on a stretcher. And once he does this, Christian would like throw Darby into the ring. And at this point, you have the people in dis like dismay. You have the crowd just like really like, is Christian really doing this? The commentators would be like, is Christian really doing this? Like, come on, Christian, just hurry up and get the win. Just pin him. And Christian would hit Darby with the kill switch. And Darby would kick out. And now you have the match continuing between Darby and Christian. And Darby would actually, like, fight back against Christian. Uh, Christian would accidentally knock the ref down with the spear. And when he does this, Christian would decide to say, you know what? I'm going to go grab the TNT title. Christian will go and grab it, and once he does this, he goes to back in the ring, trying to hit Darby with it, but Nick Wayne, he would appear and grab the TNT title from Christian. Now, when Nick Wayne does this, Nick Wayne will leave the ring, and he's standing right next to his mom, who's behind the barricade. Christian would give chase, and Christian would start running after Nick Wayne. Nick Wayne would get in the ring, and once Christian gets in the ring with Nick, Darby is standing up. So Christian is looking at both Darby and Nick Wayne standing side by side. Christian knows that he's in trouble. He's on his knees. He's looking at both of them. Darby, he would give Nick Wayne the order to hit Christian with the TNT championship. Now, this is Nick Wayne's opportunity to get at Christian because Christian is being a complete jerk off to himself and his mom and to his dead father. He has the opportunity to hit Christian with the TNT title, but he doesn't do it. Instead, he hits Darby Allen with the championship. And when he does this, the camera goes right over to his mom and gets Nick Wayne's mom's reaction. Nick Wayne's mom is just like shouting, Nick, why did you do it? Why? And you just see back in the ring, Christian is smiling. Nick Wayne is standing over Darby's body. Christian would walk over to Nick and tap him on the shoulder. Nick Wayne would get out of the ring. Christian would grab the referee over, and Christian would cover Darby. Referee would make the count. One, two, three. Christian is still your TNT champion. Now, after the match, Nick Wayne would get in the ring. Christian would hold Darby Allen's body, and Nick Wayne would start Telling Darby that you forgot about my family. You forgot about my dad. You broke away from my dad. And Nick Wayne just starts putting the boots to Darby. And now you have Christian and Nick putting the boots to Darby. Sting would come down. And Sting would start beating up on both Christian Cage and Nick Wayne. Until Luchasaurus would come out. Luchasaurus would come in and now it's a three on two. The number advantage is too much. Uh, Christian would get chairs and now you have it seems that Christian is about to hit Sting with a concerto until the lights will go out and then they will show on the screen it will say a special feature presentation and you see a person driving with a car like towards the arena and then like the body leaving out the car and long behold it is Adam Copeland, a.k.a. Edge. He comes over to AEW with his WWE entrance theme, which WWE does not own. That is uh, Alter Bridge music. The music that Edge was using, uh, I believe, is Metalingus. That's the music that 
WWE, I believe, had a partnership or was able to use because Alterbridge gave them permission to use it the same way that uh, they were able to use Colt's personality because um, the people that did Colt's personality gave them permission to use it. So AEW now has that permission, as it seems. Edge is here. He's, or excuse me, Adam Copeland is here. He gets the whole entrance, the smoke, the pyro, all that stuff. He comes into the ring. You have this stare down between Christian and Adam. And Adam, like, brings his hand over and tells Christian to give him the chair. So now we have this moment where Adam looks like he's about to hit Sting with the concerto. But Adam will quickly hit Nick Wayne in the back with a chair. And Christian, he would leave the ring when Adam starts doing this. Luchasaurus, he would get hit with a spear. Nick Wayne, he would get hit with a spear. And the ending of Wrestle Dream would be Christian Cage standing on the ramp holding the TNT Championship in the air as Adam is standing in the ring with Darby and Sting. And Darby and Sting would shake Adam's hand. And that's how Wrestle Dream would go off. So for Wrestle Dream now, that is a great pay per view. Period. From start to finish, great pay per view. And with the surprise of Adam Copeland now being with AEW, this now has AEW take over from one guy into another. Since this is a new beginning, we had the punk era, and now the punk era is gone, and now we're entering the Adam Copeland era of Adam being into AEW, and now we're going to see what type of uh, situations we get there, because we still have the Hardys there, so we could have an Edge, or excuse me, Adam and Christian thing with the Hardys, Somewhere down the line, whenever this whole thing comes to fruition, or if that even happens, we don't know. But we have a whole new world of possibilities now. Best believe on Wednesday with Dynamite, we're going to have Adam Copeland speaking about why he's here in AEW, why he did what he did to uh, Christian at Wrestle Dream. But that's then. That's later. Um, NXT, No Mercy. Great show from start to finish. AEW Wrestle Dream, great show from start to finish. I mean, this weekend from both shows back to back were extremely great shows. You had both shows literally ending in some type of hardcore element, and I loved it. You had both shows having legitimate standout matches for NXT. Uh, no Mercy, you had Ilya Dragunov going against Carmelo Hayes. That's a match that if you're going to watch any match on that card, you're going to watch that one. And for Wrestle Dream, for me, I say the technical matchup between Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson because that was the match that we were supposed to get last year at Forbidden Door. But they allow that to marinate because Brian was hurt at the time. And now that Brian's here, we got that here at Wrestle Dream. So it was a great matchup. But if you don't watch that one, watch the two out of three falls match for the TNT Championship and see all the shenanigans and all that stuff happening in the debut of Adam Copeland in uh, Wrestle Dream. So, now, with all that being said, if you did not check out my Sunday episode, go listen to that. That is called Unanswered. Um, If you didn't listen to what happened on Wrestling Highlights of the Week this past week, it's up there for you right now as well. And don't forget, I will have a midweek episode coming to you on Wednesday. So now with all the self-presentation and self-promotion out of the way, this has been your NXT and AEW Wrestle Dream review from my two cents podcast hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. 
I love you all. I thank you. Please have a blessed day. You'll hear from me whenever you go to the next episodes. But with that, I love you. I thank you. And I'll check you guys out later. Peace.